So that's another way. We usually don't rent the model units. We want to keep it open, obviously, for tenants. But that's one of the things that we've been doing to make sure that we're thinking creatively and trying to increase or maintain the cash flow as much as we can. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey everyone, this is Ellie Perlman. I'm a real estate investor. I buy multifamily properties across the US. And I wanted to talk today about what I do to fight the COVID-19 impact on my properties. Now you've probably heard you know, about the COVID-19, also called the coronavirus. And we're all wondering, you know, to what extent the impact is going to be on real estate and businesses moving forward. The truth is that we don't really know how bad it would hit real estate, how bad it would hit businesses. We do see, you know, unemployment increasing. But what I wanted to discuss with you today is what I do to minimize the impact on my multifamily properties. And hopefully, that you know, sharing this information is going to help some of you implement some of the ideas that I had that I have been implementing in my property. So the first thing and the most important thing is basically applying safety protocols. Before we're talking about protecting your cash flow and you know dealing with evictions, which we'll get to it later, human lives are a lot more important than anything else. So the first thing that we did in our properties is basically emailing and sending letters to everyone, basically educating them about the CDC's regulations, you know, wash your hands, keep six feet apart from other people, try not to go out as much as possible. So basically all the regulations of how to keep a safe environment, a clean environment, hand sanitizers, etc., just to make sure that everyone gets the same information that we get. The second thing that we did to keep our tenants, you know, safe and healthy is close all the common spaces. So pools, gyms, clubhouses, they're all closed because we didn't want to give them the opportunity to congregate and increase the likelihood of somebody being sick and spreading the disease with, you know, in our property. In addition, we stopped all actual property tours. So we're only allowing virtual tours. So basically our team they took a video of the model units and that's what they're sending tenants and everything is being done remotely until they actually come and enter the apartment after they, of course, sign on the lease. So we're kind of moving away from actual tours to only remote and virtual tours. That's another way of minimizing the risk. In addition, what we've done for safety is actually minimizing maintenance. So we're only conducting maintenance jobs that are absolutely necessary. For instance, you know, HVAC systems, if there's a leak, mold, something that we have to take care of right now. And all the other maintenance jobs right now are basically paused. 
So renovations will stop. All the other nice to have but not necessary capital expenditure works has been suspended for now just to make sure that we're not exposing our own people, our own maintenance guys, and also the tenants to unnecessary you know, touch points between them and our team. So that's what we've been doing when it comes to safety protocols. Now, the second thing, and this is something that a lot of investors are actually worried about, is you know what are we going to do with collections? So my team and I have been basically you know, brainstorming of some ideas of what we can do when it comes to minimizing the impact on our collections. Because obviously, when you have people that are losing their jobs or have their hours cut, that means that they're not going to have money to pay rent. So it's definitely a concern for us. And what we basically, you know, the plan that we came up with is when if someone comes and says, you know, we lost our jobs, we can't pay rent, we require them to fill out a questionnaire declaring that that was the case. And we need also, we're requiring a proof of loss of, of jobs. So a letter from the, an employer or any other form that actually proves what they say. And in addition, we need to see a proof of after they lost their job applying basically to unemployment. And this is basically what we're asking because on one hand, we don't want to evict people who have been impacted by the pandemic. But on the other hand, we don't want to be taken advantage of by people who are just thinking, you know what, this is a great opportunity to stop paying rents. So we're trying to keep, you know, the balance between helping the tenants that need help right now and those who are just merely trying to take advantage of the situation. We also make it clear to our tenants that it's, you know, it's a misconception that you don't need to pay rent. And I see it a lot on social media and I hear it that, you know, some tenants are thinking, wait a minute, we're going to a free pass. It's basically, we don't need to pay rents. This is very, very dangerous. And we're trying to educate our tenants and make sure that they understand that it doesn't mean you can't just stop paying rent. You need to prove that you lost your job or your job was impacted by the coronavirus. And in addition, even if it has, and you have been laid off because, you know, you're, you're, factory was shut down or the business you work for is not no longer open to the public, even then it does not mean that the rent is forgiven. You know, it means that we're going to work on a flex payment plan. It means that you're going to pay some of the amount now and the rest is going to be paid in the next six, 10 or 12 months. So it doesn't mean that you don't need to pay rent. We're just going to work with you to make sure that you're able to pay rent and still, you know, buy food. And so that's kind of, you know, dealing with the misconceptions is so important to make sure that tenants actually know what is expected of them and how we can actually help them. In addition to that, in order to maintain rent collections as high as possible now, we're actually offering renewals without any rent increases. So, so far we've been increasing rents, we've been renovating apartments and pushing rents. And right now we're pausing because the likelihood of a, an apartment being renovated and staying just sitting in the market is far too high right now. And our main focus has been shifted from marketing to new tenants to actually renewing the leases that are up right now and that came to an end for the next several months. So we want to make sure that those tenants are going to stay. So we're renewing right now without rent increases. In addition to that, in order to make sure that we maintain rent collections, you know, we, we're trying to think creatively what we can do right now, what 
basically pain point or need that is out there because of this unique situation that can benefit the business and also help people. So we're going to start offering short-term leases of one to four months and month-to-month leases. Usually we don't gravitate towards those leases because we prefer long-term leases, but they're probably going to be people that are going to lose their jobs and will have to move out of their apartment and they want to downside. Well, if it's only for a few months, they will look for new apartments. So we're offering those short-term leases. In addition, we have a model unit, for instance, in one of our buildings, and it's fully furnished. So because nobody's actually going there to, to walk that unit, we are going to put it in the market for a monthly rent. So maybe for the next month or so, we can actually rent the unit and there's the demand for furnished you know, apartments, furnished units. So that's another way. We usually don't rent the model units. We want to keep it open, obviously, for tenants. But that's one of the things that we've been doing to make sure that we're thinking creatively and trying to increase or maintain the cash flow as much as we can. So basically, that's how we find ways to adjust to the changing needs right now. And there is a need for traveling nurses for housing. So we're going to offer that as well. The last piece of thinking creatively is basically allowing tenants to use their security deposits to pay some of the rent. And basically in exchange, you'll have to sign or something that is basically a security deposit insurance. So the way that it works is that they pay between five and $10 a month and once they do it, we can release their security deposit and they can use the two, three, five hundred dollars to actually pay some of the rent and that can help tenants pay the rent. So there are companies that do it. It takes time to enroll with the program, but we're working on it. But that's just one idea of how we can think creatively so we can allow, you know, tenants to use their security deposit and they pay the premium for a company that in case we need to release a security deposit when they leave, for instance, then we can basically get that money from the company. So obviously it's not as easy. We don't have the funds right away in our account like we have with a security deposit, but that can help us combat the anticipated decline in rent collections. So I started by talking about applying the safety protocols. I spoke about maintaining the rent rent collections as high as possible. Now, the last piece of the puzzle is cutting costs. And we're very nimble, you know, operators, and we do our best to cut costs when we take over an operation. But now, basically, we need to take one step further. So we're basically looking, of course, we stopped all unnecessary maintenance jobs and that helps to keep costs low and especially right now. But we're looking into all the contracts with vendors and for cable and phone companies, for instance, and we're negotiating and trying to get even lower rates and lower service fees. In addition, as I mentioned, we pause on unit renovation and that basically will help with cutting costs because we have some CapEx money that we're not you know, expending right now. And in addition, we're basically minimizing all the non-essential expenses. So I'm not saying that I'm going to stop taking care of the property, but when it comes to landscaping, maybe instead of every week, we can bring that company every other week 
to just take care of the grass that it won't look, you know, neglected and that the property is not going to look neglected, but I don't need really to put a lot of emphasis on beautiful flowers at the entry because I want to make sure that our expenses are as low as possible. So this is just how we think about expenses. And regardless of the pandemic, every month when we review the P&L with our property management company, we actually go line by line in the P&L and we're trying, we're brainstorming and we're finding creative solutions on how to increase the income and how to cut the costs. We're looking, we're comparing the cost to other properties in the area. We're comparing the costs to previous months and we're trying to see trends. So we're already doing it, but now it's just taking one step further and really cutting costs in a very aggressive way. I would say that the last part, you know, when it comes to managing and owning apartment buildings is basically the loan. And, you know, besides obviously, you know, making sure your tenants are well informed about the CDC regulations and applying safety protocols, besides trying to minimize the decrease in rent collections and besides cutting costs, the last portion is also the loan. And I've been hearing a lot of discussions about forbearance and the fact that, you know, people were thinking we're going to stop paying the loan and we're going to, you know, wait until it's over at least for 90 days. We're not going to pay the loan and then we're going to be back on track. My suggestion is first and foremost, read the loan documents. You have to understand that this is not an easy thing to do to take the forbearance path And it's a misconception that it's really easy to do. You're just going to, you know, write an email to your lender and say, I'm exercising my right for a forbearance and I'm not going to pay you for 90 days. For several reasons, you have to understand that, you know, first and foremost, there are a lot of limitations that come with it, which means that you can't really evict tenants during that time. And you have to look into the different forbearance clauses because you might not be able to evict anyone for 12 or 15 months, which is the time that you're actually paying the loan that has been accumulated, the debt that has been accumulated for those 90 days that you put the loan on a pause. Second, you need to understand that if you're a syndicator, you won't be able to pay yourself an asset management fee and your You won't be able to pay your limited partners, your investors, their distributions for 12 to 15 months as long as you're paying the forbearance payments. That's a long time. So you have to be careful before you run and, you know, apply the forbearance. And lastly, all those loans, you know, hopefully are non-recourse loans, but you have to read the bad boy carve-outs because sometimes that can trigger the bad boy carve-out, which means you're going to lose your non-recourse protection. Now, I'm not saying that if you're going to go you know, and exercise the option for a forbearance, it's going to trigger it, but it opens up the door for exposure for you because bad boy carve-out is basically any fraud, obviously, and in, in negligent in managing the property. And that's a very risky road to take because now you're managing the property in a pandemic situation, what exactly, you know, you are more exposed to be held as negligent if you don't follow certain rules or if you made certain decision and not the other, which you can know looking back if that was negligent. And so you don't want to be in a position where the entire loan amount is losing the non-recourse protection. 
Make sure you consult with a lawyer before you go through that path of forbearance. Make sure you talk to your lenders and explain to them what you want to do. And make sure you don't send anything in writing to your lender before you have a very, very thorough conversation with your lawyer. But, you know, reading the loan documents and understanding your rights and the options that you have is very important. And that's what we also do just to understand what are our rights, what can we do and cannot do. So if we need to move forward, we know what to do. My resource freebie this month is the COVID-19 Asset Protection Guide. This includes several of the best practice steps that I myself am implementing at my apartment communities, as well as other syndicators I've spoken with. You can find this guide and practical steps to implement immediately at www.elliepearlman.com resources. Lastly, in these challenging times, if you'd like to provide help but are not quite sure how, I'd like to personally invite you to join me in donating to COVID-19 Hunger Relief with Joblot Charitable Foundation. The Joblot Charitable Foundation has been around for over 30 years, supporting dozens of food banks across the U.S. The foundation has the buying power and know-how to acquire products, most notably food, from manufacturers at a fraction of what others, including many food banks, pay. All costs such as fees, taxes, labor, warehousing, and transportation involved in the food donation, and all the logistics are paid by Joblot Foundation, ensuring that 100% of every donated dollar goes to feed those families in need. So for every dollar you donate, they can buy at least $2 worth of food. My husband and I are personally matching donations up to $10,000 through our charity to Joblot, and I welcome your donation today to ensure families can continue to have quick access to food. You can learn more by clicking on the link in the show notes. Well, that's it for now. These are, you know, my kind of thoughts and these are basically the things that I do to protect my properties from the impact of the COVID-19. I hope that that was beneficial and that you found value in this information. Stay safe. We're in this together and hopefully very soon we'll be able to look back and say that was, you know, a very challenging time in the U.S. economy and not have to deal with it anymore. But The truth is that we don't know when that's going to happen. So in the meantime, stay safe and be well. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.